Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Coming up on the payoff, Pretty Wrecked is a memoir about addiction, and it is by, I'm going to call her my friend now, Tracy Viola. She is an absolute force of nature, and this conversation, if you're struggling with alcoholism, addiction, if you know somebody who's struggling with it, if you're looking for answers, you might find more than that in this podcast. You might find some empowerment and some energy and some real good stuff. And you're also going to find more information about Pretty Wrecked. The pre-order, uh, I think, is in a week or two. Um, and April 9th, the book officially drops. And uh, this is a memoir that I'm sure is going to be unbelievable. I, I read parts of it, and her and I talked about that. But just the way it's lined up and uh, her message is something that you've got to, you've got to take in, especially if you're on your own journey of sobriety, uh, if you're in addiction right now and you're looking for answers, again, always if you have a family member or a friend, this is the kind of stuff that we try to share here because it can help other people. And I know Tracy's helping other people and she's going to continue to with this project. Uh, so without further ado, before we get to Tracy Viola, we always get to my main man, Kevin Souza. So you grew up on the main line. Yeah. Like, so southeastern Pennsylvania, right outside of Philadelphia for people yep. like nationwide don't know. So you grow up on the main line and then as as a young a young girl i mean you have everything i mean it's it's sort of i've experienced a lot in my life i was pretty lucky to grow up in that same area and and you have all the means you don't have to want for much what was your childhood like as as a young girl yeah so it really was that um you know i i lived in a nice house i had access to and these are all the things you look back and you're like, I didn't realize how good I had it, right? You just had it. Like, this was just yeah. your life. You know, I had um, a nice home and anything I could want. And, you know, Christmas morning was just over the top and, and all these things now that, you know, it's like you recognize with extreme gratitude as you become an adult and a more worldly person. But um, I, yeah, I had a mom that loved me and her sole purpose was to be as she was taught by her mother to be a mom and a wife. And she did very, very good at that. Um, and um, I had a couple of half siblings. So my father was married before my mom and his first wife, unfortunately died. And so when my mom met him, he came with four children. Now why she didn't go running from the restaurant <laughs> is beyond me um, yes. because I would have been like, check, <laughs> um, but she didn't. Uh, and so I had older siblings that I ended up being close with as I was growing up. Um, and yeah, my dad did, my parents did unfortunately get divorced when I was around six or seven. And so my dad wasn't a real big part of my life at that point, but it was okay because I had this, you know, great home and great mom and great dog and good friends. And, um, it was all seemingly smooth um, until really my stepfather came into the picture and that's when things took a quick shift. And that was around when I was like 11 or 12 years old, they got married when I was 12 and things like, 
you know, record scratch kind of moments. And knowing a little bit about you and just like I said, like being able to do a little digging, you mentioned your father was, you, you like me, um, I feel I was pre-programmed, you know, like my, it was in, I mean, all along my father's side of the family was yep. hardcore alcoholism, you know, yep. and, and it was kind yep. of like, my father. Well, I don't want to say it was like ancient times, but it was before there, there, there wasn't like a lot of like drugs because it just wasn't really ready, readily available. I don't think. No, that, no. Time. I mean, but yeah, there was hardcore alcoholism. You had some of that in yep, your family exactly. and in your dad. Yes. Yeah. And I didn't, um, I didn't notice that. I didn't see that until I was older, right? Until I was almost in my own addiction. Was I like, oh, wait a minute, he drinks too. Um, and but when I was growing up, yes, he was he was an active alcoholic, and and I think he was never cruel, but he just wasn't present, you know. And he was he was neglectful. And I remember um, one time talking to him on the phone and my mom saying like, oh, let me just talk to him before, you know, you know, she picked up like another phone in the house, you know, when you had like cords, these are like cord. <laughs> and I was like in a different room and I ended up staying on the phone. I didn't hang up. And I remember her saying to him, you need to call her more. Like you need to like make more of an effort. And I remember being like that. I was just, you know, I, I didn't really know how to process it at the time. I was too little, but like, I look back now and I think of like little Tracy hearing that. And I was like, God, that must've hurt so much to hear the reason dad's calling me is because my mom's like, you need to call her more, you know, and he just wasn't calling me on his own. And, um, and it was just because he was like checked out, you know, he was just in a daze and, and drinking all the time, um, which, which made him again, checked out and neglectful. And it also made him when he, when he was on, right. When the spotlight was on, he was a lot of fun, right. He was wild and crazy and gregarious and, funny and um and all those things that made him so you have a good you have good memories of of your dad I do I mean he was probably hammered but um I do I have a great great memory of him being um at his cabin he had a cabin in Maryland like right on the Bohemia River right on the Chesapeake and um I remember him getting up on the roof like climbing up on the roof and like ringing a dinner bell and like yelling at everyone and cursing and I just remember thinking this guy is so fun um, yeah. and so I do, I do have like, I do have fond memories of him. And again, looking back, it's like, well, he did that because he was hammered. But, uh, you know, I mean, we talk about know. that. That yeah. reminds me again, uh, something else I relate to is like an alcoholic who grew up in an alcoholic environment per se. That was like attractive to me. Like seeing my family, my dad, we would go to Connecticut on like vacations or whether we would go to New York and like every, drinking seemed like fun. Like people would get together, yeah. they would drink, and it was a hoot. I remember the smell of like a martini and like cigarettes and like it yep. seemed really, it seemed elite. It was, it was sexy, you know, it was sexy because like I remember him having so many different glasses for different things. And, you know, I remember like mint juleps were like a thing of his and he had these like special silver spoons that you'd put in the mint julep and it would have like a, it has like had like a little straw in the spoon. And so you could suck up the sugar in the bottom. And like, it was like a relationship, you know? And, and, and that's really like so much of my addiction, especially with drugs, but you know, with alcohol too. I mean, I couldn't like afford it. I was like stealing money and stealing booze, but with drugs was a relationship, right? It was all the gadgets. It was like, 
it was like getting the bowls and the rolling papers and the like the de-seating and having like the de-seating table. Anyway, I'm jumping ahead. But the point is, is to your point, it was like it was sexy. It was it was it was all the gadgets and the things that also were part of that world that I yeah. that I thought were cool. Yeah, and it's and, and again, like growing up, like and a lot of people I'm sure can relate to this. You see this sort of rare air around people that are abusing this, and so it seems okay. Like we're not talking about people living underneath the bridge. We're talking yeah. about people that are that have means and are successful. So it's like it all seems like why wouldn't this be the best time now for you? What were you, what was it like as you kind of led up to your first drink? Like what? How did you feel? about about you, yourself like what was that yes. like so um i will say it was kind of like a late bloomer i had had a sip or two here or there sneaking it from like my my mom's um liquor cabinet type of thing or maybe having a sip of my dad's drink i'm positive my dad was like yeah sure have a sip you know yeah. um but it didn't really take off until a very traumatic experience with my stepfather so I will say that it was always there, right? It was always bubbling beneath the surface. Um, and I talk about this um, in my upcoming book, which I'm really excited about. But I talk about this kind of like, the, I would. there's no way I was ever going to not escape this, right? I had the biological component with my my father's, you know, um, aspect. I had the psychological component of my, my stepfather was just a really horrendous person and yeah. extremely cruel. Uh, and demeaning to my mother and I. So I had already had this kind of low self-esteem, psychological trauma from his constant beratement. Um, and then I was around it. I started to be around it. I started dating a guy. It's always a guy, right? Um, <laughs> dating this guy who was using, right? He was drinking and he had- How old are you um, about this time? At this point, I'm 16. Okay. So again, kind of a late I just turned 16. This was like, I had turned 16 in April. Um, and this was in May. So it was like right after. Only alcoholics would say shit like this, right? I was 16. That was the first time I got drunk. It's like, I was a late bloomer. I know. And I want to say that because like my addiction was like a fucking rocket ship. Can I curse? I'm allowed to curse. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it was like. I mean, I'm I'm sure you and so many people listening can relate to like that first time, right? That first drunk or that first high of just like, that's it. And and that's what it was for me. And I remember I, um, uh, in a very sudden experience, my mom moved us out of the house for my stepfather. Which was so what absolutely. was the what was the incident? Can you talk about what happened? With your absolutely, stepfather? absolutely. Um, and it's so funny because what I found I had to do to really capture these moments in depth was when I wrote, when I wrote this chapter, when I wrote my whole book, I would sit in my office, I would put earplugs in and I would put record on my phone and I would tell the story in first person as if I was there. I literally like, kind of like, was like, all right, I'm, I'm looking down on this happening right now. And it was extremely like, you do an amazing job, by the way. You talk Hard. about your, you know, your, your book is written in vignettes. So, yeah. it's, so you tell story after story to tell the story, which exactly is a really quick read, and it's really it's it, it's a great way for people to immerse themselves in the madness that was you know your life. And that's isn't that it? I mean, it's all our stories, right? We all have these stories, and and 
I just like, and, and it just, that's just kind of how it came out of me. I just remembered these like I, moments of my life. And, and in this particular moment, it's called the, the chapter, I think is called um, O'Malley and the four leaf clover. I tell the story of my mom finally making the decision to say enough is enough with my stepfather. And I, I went off to school that morning. No big deal. I think I'm a freshman. I'm a freshman in high school. Um, it's towards the end of my freshman year. Where'd you go to high school? So I'm not, I'm not sharing that just yet because I'm still okay. waiting. They're reading the book right now, but okay, I'll just okay. say it was a private school. It was, it was a okay. private school on the main line. It's, I mean, there's not that many. It's okay. going to come out. I'm just not sharing it until they get back to me. They're 100%. so supportive. They're yeah. so wonderful. And they're so supportive. I just wanted to give them the heads up. Like, Hey guys, this book is coming out. People are going to figure it and out. That's a window for anybody that wants to write a book. Like, like some of the, the, the process, like, like how heavy duty it is. Yeah. Exactly. And I just, out of respect for them, because I love them. I had an amazing experience. I really was like, I gave them a book and I said, I want you to read this. And I just want you to like respond to it and, and be aware. So I'm just not at this point until they get back to me and say, you know, here's our response. And it's really cool. I'm, so far they're, they're, they've been wonderful. They're, they're totally Their response so should be, we love it. When can you talk to our students? But go ahead. Exactly. Well, actually, actually I do. I actually speak to their students every single year. They have me come okay. and speak. So I will give them a lot of credit. Like they're, they know this, this is not like a rock. This is not like a shocking information to them. Okay. It's just more like, Oh, this is like going to be very public. Right. Um, yeah. So no, they're wonderful. They have me speak every year at the school. school. They came home from school and um, I remember just walking in the house and the whole house was gone. Uh, I literally turned the corner and like nothing was in the house. And I was like, what is going on? My mom comes downstairs and she said, we're leaving him my stepfather, Richard, we're leaving him and we're going to move in with your grandparents. To make a long story short, my entire life at 16 years old goes into a box, the O'Malley's four leaf clover box. This is, that was like the moving people that came. So it's O'Malley's was the name of the company. And so O'Malley's comes, boxes up our whole house, boxes up my whole life. I'm 16. Um, my whole life was my bedroom, right? It was like your music and your, your stuff and your clothes and all that stuff. And it's in a box and we're going to live with my grandparents for two weeks. And I'm doing air quotes right now because two <laughs> weeks ended up becoming well, until they died, like four years, you know? So, um, we never left. And so we move in with my grandparents and that for me was like a real descent into some, some trauma and some depression. And I had just started dating this guy that had alcohol around him, had drugs around him. At this point, I had said no, especially to the drugs, the drinking I had like had some here and there. Um, and then one day it was about, I'd say it was about three weeks after this incident where we left the house and I was sitting with him, I was sitting with his friends and they were passing around um, a bowl. Um, and I just was like, they look like they're having a lot of fun and I don't feel like I'm having fun right now. Like this, I feel like shit. And so I didn't pass the ball. And that was it. Yeah. I mean, I, I am sure you can relate to this. I, that was the moment that I chased after for the rest of my addiction. That, that first, you know, and I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to bullshit anyone. It was amazing. You know, it was like yeah. something took over my body and I was like, this is the answer. Um, and I mean, I was off to the races. Yeah. 
and you're it's so it's interesting because a lot a lot of times uh that I, I when i started to use like marijuana right like recreational gateway whatever you want to call that drug it was it was really i would do it in the middle of the day uh often and i i i smoked a lot more weed during the day than than i drank during the day right, right? So it was just you know you know what i'm talking about and yeah uh, it, that broke down another wall for me, like getting, okay, I can get outside of myself and get fucked up during the day. And it totally. was like a whole nother component to my addiction. Like it, it turned it into a 24 seven operation. And now we're talking exactly. about that. We're talking about that operation now when you're 16, 17. And, mm -hmm. you know, I get it. Like some kids who smoke weed and drink and they don't have the uh, reaction to it that you just described. That I that, yep. that I can describe like my first spiritual experience, right? Like was when I drank. I felt like I really felt like that. And then I ended up smoking so much weed as a senior in high school, junior, senior year. I thought it was like so important as as to like a part of who I was. Um, I didn't know there was a part of me outside of being high. Yeah, yeah. That's what I. I it just it was my full time job to make sure that I was um, getting uh, drugs or alcohol. Cause to your point, I couldn't like, it wasn't like I could drink on the way to school, you know? Um, yeah. But I could, I could drive with my knee and smoke a bowl on the way to school. <laughs> um, don't recommend it. Kids yeah. don't try this at home. Even yeah. adults don't try that at home. Um, but you know, I could do that and hide it and function, but the alcohol, I was very aware. I was very aware of my, problem with alcohol. And I knew early that if I was going to drink, it was going to get out of control and I needed to plan to drink, right? I needed to plan to be at a friend's house or at a sleepover or whatever, uh, because there was, there was no middle ground. There wasn't like, I was going to have a couple of beers and get a little bit of a buzz. It's like, no, 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 no. Um, it, it was going to be, it was going to be, out of control. So I would plan ahead for drinking, um, for drugs. Um, I, that was, that was an ongoing thing. That was 24 hours. That was, and the way that I refer to it, the, the best way that I can explain what those did for me, given my background with my, my kind of neglectful father and my very abusive stepfather. Um, I refer to it as like, my soul had this like trash can, right? I had this, this trash can filled with hurt, from again, my father and my stepfather and some of the experiences that I had had and what the drugs and alcohol did for me was they kind of kept the lid on the trash can, right? It kept it nice and tight. So I didn't have to look at that shit. I didn't have to deal with it. I didn't have to look at it. I didn't have to, most of all, I didn't have to feel it because feelings hurt, right? They hurt, it sucked, especially when you're a teenager. I mean, I, I have a teenager and it's like, it's hard. Being a teenager is so hard. Um, and then you had all that other stuff and it's even harder. And so that's what the alcohol and the drugs did for me is they just kept that lid on the trash can nice and tight. So I didn't have to look. Now we want and, people, and, we want we want people to, to to buy the book, but I do want, you know, your your book again, you mentioned it's a series of stories. Can you give us a window into one of those stories early on uh in your in your life where you saw your addiction was starting to get out of control? Like before, you know, when you're in those formative years, talking high school, getting close to college, where you're like, whoa. Because I, because even though I knew there were points in time where I was like, okay, this is like an issue. But I, I was yeah. also like, I don't care. 
because it's it's such it's such yes. a gift. It's so true. Both. This is an issue, and I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Both can be true. Um, I love that. I love that idea of like holding two truths and they can be different, right? They yeah. can be like very opposite. Um, I would say, I would say by my senior year in high school, there's a story in the book called Lunch Break. And it talks about how when I had an opportunity, when I would have lunch and I'd have like a free period afterwards or like a study hall, um, as a senior, you were allowed to like leave campus to go out to lunch. Well, I would quickly get in my Honda drive as fast as I could to West Philly to my dealer and pick up drugs during my lunch break. What kind of drugs? Uh, at that point, it was marijuana, mostly marijuana, um, mushrooms, acid, you know, uh-huh. but, but this particular dealer, I got really good because I buy ounces, like ounces and ounces, yeah. uh, which is just like, you know, oh my God, so stupid. Anyway, yeah. um, so I would fly down, I'd be in my uniform, so bad. Um, I was like in my uniform, in my little Honda, driving down to West Philly to like a really like not by a really, yourself. Oh, by myself, absolutely. Yeah. Like why not, right? And I would go to my go into my dealer, and there was this one situation where, um, as I was leaving my my dealer, a cop was across the street, and he saw me. And I'll just say I stuck out. <laughs> I stuck out. Like yeah. I, I did, it was like, it was like the, uh, what was like the 1980s theme? Like, which one is different than the other? <laughs> you know, like, I forget what it was yeah. like on like Reading Rainbow, I think. Anyway, and uh, and the cop was like, hey, he called out to me. And I was like, oh. you know, he's like, come over here. And I just remember walking back across the street and like, it was like, you know how like, like a million, like so much happens in one second. Like you, it's like the universe is explained in one second. I was like, this isn't good. This is going to be very bad. I should not be here. This is probably a problem that I, you know, the whole, it all was like, came very clear. And then my dealer came out as I was walking across the street, my dealer came out from the, his joint, his place. And he went over to the cop and he's like, Hey man, how you doing? And he kind of pat, patted the cop on the shoulder and he, and he like looked at me and he was like, see ya. And obviously it must have paid off the cop. He must have had like a relationship. Wow. And I just kind of like turned and like walked back to my car. And that was definitely a moment for me where I was like, this is not, this isn't normal, right? This isn't the way my friends are spending their lunch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like almost getting busted by the cops for having like one ounce of marijuana in each of her boobs, right? Like you tuck them in your bra, you know? And, yeah. Like I'm sure you did, right? No, I'm just think, but at that age, that's kind of like a heavyweight move. Like, hence why you're going down there by yourself. Uh, there is well, a little bit of like, separation. Why wouldn't I? Like an yeah. idiot, you know? And so yeah, so that was um that was an intense moment realizing like, hmm, this is not this isn't normal. How how, how were things going like off the court in a sense, like with life, like with with, with with dating and with like stuff at home, like how is that out? Because you got this addiction that you're holding on to real tight, and like if you're me, and I can tell, like you, you, you celebrate it and you chase it, but you also have like you do have to keep up, like you know, like I was an athlete, you know, like yeah. like I was, and so like like so, what was what did your outside look like while all this is going on? Sure, like I love that, like what were your outsides versus your yeah. insides, right? Yeah. Um, Yes. So my insides were like all just darkness, you know, really like dark. Uh, And what do they say? It's like a scary place to be right inside my head. Um, And I uh, was doing a very good job keeping up appearances. Remember, I'm from the main line. 
I yeah. know that as long as it looks good, everybody thinks it is good, which is a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> um, but I knew the game. I mean, I, I was raised in the game. And so, yeah. so that's what I did. So I kept up appearances as best I could. And my grades were always good enough, right? Like B's, like maybe a C here and there, a couple A's, you know, but never enough to turn any attention from the school. Um, I showed up on time. I participated. Um, I didn't play sports. I was not, I am not a very good athlete, but the funny thing is, and this is hilarious, I think like how weird life is. I was actually the aerobics instructor for the school. Because I I worked out. I was very good. I'm <laughs> excellent at working out. I'm terrible at sports. Don't give me a ball, don't give me a stick. Just yeah. give me some dumbbells and like a like and like a bar, like a workout bar. I'm good. And so as a senior, I was like the like aerobics instructor, which I can remember thinking, like, how was I not like hacking up resin from my lungs constantly? Yeah. Like <laughs> um, while I'm like, and like left. <laughs> and so um I kept up, you know, I I played the game. And at home, um, I just avoided my family as much as I could because we're still living with my grandparents at this point. Yeah, was that easy to do because there was so much kind of stuff going on and you were in difficult circumstances maybe? So it was like, give her a break or was it not like that? Um, I played the game really well with my grandparents because it wasn't their fault. Like, yeah. I think on some deeper level, I knew that they loved me. I, I mean, I knew that they loved me, not even on a deep level. I knew they loved me, but what had happened with my, my dad and my stepdad and my mom and some of the decisions that she made, uh, which I don't fault her for. She had to make the decisions she made given the circumstances, but I did blame her very much at the time. And I think I had a perfectly good relationship with, with my grandparents. Um, I mean, I lied to them all the time and I absolutely yeah. 10 bucks and 20 bucks and five bucks and whatever I thought I could get away with from their wallets. I mean, I'm an addict. Of course I'm going to do that. But I, I was, I had a good relationship with that. My mom, I really avoided. I, I had a lot of anger towards her because of my stepfather and, and the way that we kind of left and, and left the home. And I remember thinking like, why couldn't he leave? Why couldn't we kick him out? Like, why do we have to leave our home and all of our belongings? And so I had a lot of resentment there. And so I really just tried to keep it as surface level as I could with my mom and um, as keep her as distant as possible. But so, so grandpa, lovely. Were, were, were you kind of like, I, I, I can remember, I would go, I would go, I would go home high a lot, like in the middle of the day or in the evening, way more so than I felt comfortable coming home drunk. Um, yes. Yeah, and, and I could smoke. I could get high on in my room or whatever, and it really was you just way. It was easier to do and easier to get away with. I mean, there's nothing like getting high, coming home, and eating some food and watching TV, and nobody knew. I mean, that was yeah. That was, could, that was I could better. hide it better. I could hide yeah pot and and my reaction to it and and my state of mind way better than alcohol. Or the other thing I got really into in my addiction were hallucinogens, mushrooms and acid. Were you taking um, that's a really interesting one, I think. Like, especially loved. as somebody who's younger. Were you were you tripping on acid and mushrooms just coming back home? Like, like, yeah. Yes, which I don't recommend. It feels yeah. really terrible. Um yeah, I remember one time 
And the, the stories in the book about taking too much acid because who, what addict hasn't taken too much acid? Yeah. Um, but I took too much acid and having to come home and just like, I, like my pupils were black, like my eyes were black. My pupils were so big and trying to just be like, I had like practiced in the car, like what I was going to say when I got home to sound as normal as possible. Um, and I think I, I mean, I obviously got away with it. Like my mom, my mom was just always taught to wear rose colored glasses. Like, you know, I'm yeah. sure it's fine or it's not that bad or there's a reason for it or it'll get better. Like, you know, and that, and, and that's why I think I also got away with being in my addiction the way that I did for so long until I finally hit a wall and then, and then she came down hard. But until then I just, you know, uh, tried to utilize her rose colored glasses as much as I could, or I turn it back on her. Well, no, what are you talking about? And you, this, and you, that, right. I mean, as an, I was great at blaming you. I was great at turning the, yeah. turning the tables on you and it was your fault. Uh, and how much acid yeah. are you doing or mushrooms? Like a, a lot, um, <laughs> A lot. In fact, that's a good answer. I was just a lot. curious. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, that's a good um, answer. Yeah. I mean, that's... what do they say? Like after a certain amount, you're like certifiably crazy. Isn't there like some number? Isn't there like a certain amount? Yeah, I mean it's a yeah. I like the yeah, I'm, you know. I'm past that. I'm past that. Yeah. Uh I did I did that much <laughs> times three. All right. So when you got closer towards the tail end of high school and you move into college, like yeah, what what, what does that look like? Because I know you were, you know, we have a mutual friend, Peter F. and, and he stopped you know, 17, 18, you guys. Yeah, so, yeah, right? Yeah. I know you were like 19, 20. I was 19. Like, yeah. yeah. So, so what, I was just, just before it was like 19. I was like just before I was 20. I was still 19, but I was, okay. was approaching 20. But yes, yeah, so I went to that point. I mean, because yeah, so I go to college, yeah. which is like, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> um, sending an active alcoholic and addict off to live on their own. Yeah. You know, it was a terrible idea. And I, I mean, I, destroy myself within the first semester you know i mean not i don't i don't have to i mean i don't have to come home i don't have to worry about alcohol in my breath you know which i mean and, and how i was going to react if i had one drink five drinks ten drinks you know i don't have to worry about anything in fact if anything now i have a whole peer group that's into this because i'm not gonna lie my girlfriends um what that i went to high school with were not doing that um and i mean thankfully you know, and I kind of hung out with this. I had this like after school group. Right. And then I had my in school group. And when I went to college, it, it was both. Right. It, my after school people were in school all the time. Yeah. And it was it was amazing. And I immediately I always say it's like an addict Jedi mind. Like, I don't know about you, but like I can walk into a room to this day. I like know who I know who like is the active alcoholic. Like I know. Yeah, I know my levels. people. It's like a yes, Jedi mind, like connection. And, um, and I found my people when I went to school and, um, you know, we just destroyed ourselves for three months. Um, and, you know, I had, you know, to share a very personal story. I talk more about this in the book, but, um, you know, when I was at college um, and again, you're, you're wasted and you're high and you're not putting yourself in safe situations. Um, I did go to a fraternity party by myself not recommended. And, um, I went back to somebody's dorm because we ran out of drugs at the party mm -hmm. and you know, that was unacceptable. And this guy was like, I have more at my dorm. And I, I don't remember much. I think they call it a brownout, right? We were kind of like coming in and out of focus and, you know, and I was raped. So 
that's a real thing that happens, you know, when you, when you're alone and you're wasted and, and high and go back to somebody's dorm by yourself. And, um, how did you handle that in the, in the moment? Like, did you, did you tell people afterwards or did you stuff it? Stuffed it. Yeah, right. Absolutely. In fact, I would say it took years into my recovery to really like acknowledge it. Like that was a deep, that was a deep one um, for me to really dig up. I told my roommate at the time who she was like my best friend at school and we were so, so alike. And she was also a lovely person. Like, just, and I always like to say to people, like, just because like I was like an addict and I was like an active alcoholic didn't mean like I wasn't like, also decent, like a decent. Yeah, character. totally. I feel the same um, way. And she was lovely and she was an active alcoholic. I mean, her thing was real drinking. She drank a lot, um, drinking and drugs, but, um, and I told her and she supported me through just trying to like get through that initial sh- shock. I mean, I was, I was in shock and, um, and, and then I just stuffed it, you know, I just kept that lid on the trash can and I just, made sure to keep it nice and tight. And that was a hard one for me to deal with years later, especially now, now that I have two, I have two daughters. Um, I'm much more conscious of, I don't know, just their safety and um, well, you uh, know, awareness. Just to give a window into recovery too, because I can tell talking to you now, like the light is shining off you. You know, what is it like when you are in a place finally to share something like that, that happened with somebody else? Yeah. And, yeah, I can't even imagine what that's like, Tracy, but from from my own experiences in my, during my fifth step where I had stuff that I thought I would, you know, never share and never tell anybody. And then you tell someone and you're like, oh, like, it's just like, you know, there is somewhat of a, of a release. And again, I can't compare anything I went to to that, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, but, but it, I, I, it there is. is just talking to you now, as you talk about it, you seem a lot lighter than you probably were when you were stuffing it. Oh, totally. Um, I mean, isn't that the gift, man, of working the steps and just like acknowledging things and dealing with things and like digging through that trash can? Like, I don't have a trash can. Like, I have character defects. I have, don't don't get me wrong. I have some, some, you know, some stuff I am constantly working on and aware of, but I don't have a trash can. And that is the beauty of recovery. I'm not having to stuff or sort through shit. Because I just deal with it in the moment. When it happens, whatever's going on, it's addressed. And, you know, I mean, I love that. I love one of my favorite sayings is, you know, don't keep a record of wrongs. I'm telling you, that's what makes me have a wonderful relationship with my husband. Don't keep a record of wrongs. Do not keep a record of wrongs. And I'm sorry, ladies, women are way more likely to do this way more likely to like bring up old arguments, like, you know, in the, the current argument, like move on. So I always say to my husband, like argue, decide and move the fuck on. Like it's over. Sorry. It's decided. It's over. Move on. And it's great. It feels so good. I'm teaching my girls that it's so amazing to have these tools to be able to teach my kids. Like this is how to human and be happy and like not have all those conversations in your head, you know, like the back and forth, like, well, she's going to say this and then I'm going to say this and then she'll, you know what I mean? That's like insane. I have a theory on this, by the way. I want to know because I love, I always wonder if it's just addicts that do that, that have like the back and forth. Yeah, I I think so. I, I, and not even in in that regard, but like I, I, and I've done a study 
right? Just through my own unique life experiences. And I've seen many uh, people in recovery raise kids. And, and it, I, I think they have the best relationships with their kids. And I see their kids and, um, you know, shit's going to happen. Don't get me wrong. But like, right. I, I, wow, it's an amazing way to raise kids. Somebody in recovery working a program, uh, it's a lot different than how I was raised. Um, yeah. You know, stuff is actually out in the open. It's talked about. Um, like, like you said, like things are addressed in the moment and not in some over the top crazy way. It was for me when they were addressed, it was either over the top crazy or it was ignored. Totally. You know? Exactly. Yeah. There was no middle ground. There it was know. like all the way up here, all the way down here. Totally. So I think you're doing God's work as far as that is concerned. Now back, back to, yes. back to college. So, so yeah, so I, um, I don't think, but I think I had to go through like, honestly, like two or three fifth steps yeah. before I, this came up. Like, I think, I mean, I didn't forget, but I think like I, I had to have a real good foundation of recovery and stability and some healing before I could say I was raped. You know, I, I, and, and I remember it. I remember. And I, and I, I, cause I had this brownout where I was trying to, I was like trying to push him away and I couldn't like, because I was so, so wasted and like my arms weren't working. I remember thinking like, why aren't my arms working? Why, why am I so weak? Why am I so weak? And like trying to like will myself, but I couldn't. And so it was this battle of like kind of passing out and then waking up and passing out. And so like it took, and it took me years to go back into my deep region of my head and remember that and forgive myself, you know? And, um, I mean, I don't really, I don't, I don't like, I want to say I'm not going to forgive him, but like, I don't, yeah. he doesn't hold any power over me. Right. I mean, fuck him. I'm just going to be real yeah. clear. Right. I'm not, not forgiving him. I'm just saying like, I, I now have the power because I talk about this. I talk about this with other women. I talk about this to the school that I used to go to. I tell them about this. Um, to to let them know that this is a real thing they need to be aware of going into school, going into college. Um, well, it's I called the it red zone. I mean, it's a real, it's called the I red zone. I think it a light on a very scary, dangerous thing is like, you can put yourself in the scariest places and positions when you're abusing alcohol and drugs or when you're binge drinking, even if you don't have to be an alcoholic to expose yourself to some crazy, terrifying situations. And, you know, and, and if you're an alcoholic or an addict, you're doing that with consistency, which is like really scary. And it's not like your playing fault. like roulette, you know, it's like yeah. playing like Russian roulette. I mean, and it's really not your fault. Like, you know, like even as a dude who was a bigger dude, and I didn't have to worry about any of that shit, but I still would put something in my body and find myself in the same crazy situation over and over again. I didn't want to be in. You know, I didn't want to be hanging out uh, in, in, in like drug houses, like at all hours of the night in New York and Philadelphia. And just like, because like, it wasn't my plan. I didn't, I didn't, that wasn't no. the blueprint for success when I was younger. But that's that where I ended exactly up over, right. and over and over again. That's, and that's exactly, you said it perfectly. Like that wasn't the plan. And so there's, so I, I, and I say this to say like, there's no shame, like any, for, for me. And like, you know, some of the terrifying, crazy things I got into, like, and I love you sharing that w with me because like, it, it's, I don't know, it gives me a jolt in the arm and it's very, the way that you have empowered yourself through that um, is, is pretty fucking cool. You know? Thank you. Yeah. It's well, I mean, it's like, I think that's the beauty of 
recovery, recovery from whatever it is, you know, I don't care, drugs, alcohol, eating addiction, whatever, you know, um, is just taking back your power, you know, so finding your voice again and, and finding your power. But before you find your voice, though, you got you to gotta hit rock bottom. So like yeah. for you, what, what happens when you hit that wall and everything gets crashed crum- yeah. and everything crumbles down and you, and you get the opportunity, though, to build back up? Like what happened? I did. Yes. Um, so I left school after that first semester. Um, I left with a very proud 1.4 GPA. Can we say where you went to school? College? Yeah, I went to University of South Carolina. Oh, okay. I chose University of South Carolina because um, it was warm. It had a football team, so I knew there'd be good tailgate parties. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to go play a football in South Carolina, and, and they recruited me for a little bit, and then I kind of got lost in the shuffle. But yeah, that was like, that was, that it was, was, it was a hot. It was, it was a great, it was a Alluring. lot. Too much fun. It was yeah. too much fun. Yeah. Um, and um, Anyway, and so so that's where I went and um, crashed and burned and came back. My mom at this point, because I'd done so poorly in school, and I at this point I also physically couldn't hide what drugs and alcohol were doing to me. Like my hair was dry, my nails were dry, my skin. I was like jaundice. Like I had no I had no oxygen in my body because my lungs were just coated in resin. Um, I wasn't able to, like, my eyes were black. Like, I looked sickly. And with, along with my 1.4 GPA, um, I, I was a wreck, you know. And I came home and my mom said, um, you're going to rehab. You're going to rehab. And that's so so funny because she never did anything before. It was like, <laughs> silence, silence, silence. Everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. Nope. I'm actually putting you on an airplane and sending you to rehab. Right. It was just like when the doors open for my mom, it's like, look out. She's like, she's after it. And so she did. So she was like, you're going to rehab. And she not, I always say she didn't just choose like a mom and pop place. She literally put me on a plane and sent me to Hazelden in Minnesota. Like, like the mothership rehab. (laughs) So I arrive at Hazelden and I remember thinking. What time of year was it? It was uh, right after Christmas. So it was cold as shit because you're going to Minnesota. Yeah. Cold as shit. So I show up at Hazelden and I am, um, it's, this is right, right after Christmas, right before New Year's. This is like a few days before New Year's. And of course, like, like somebody like that's about to go on a diet on Monday. I like, you know, like, and they're like, well, I'm going to eat like shit all weekend. Right. Cause I can't eat on my, I was like, well, I'm going to go to rehab. So I'm going to like drug, 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 drug. So I was like, not in a good place arriving at Hazelden uh, for multiple reasons, but, and I get there and um, uh, the wheels just start to come off because this is the first time in like since I've ever used that I think I had not had something in my system for what, you know, 48 hours, right? 30, you know, 48 hours, 72 hours. And so by day, oh my God, by like day four or five, I start to go through withdrawal and it was like the top comes off the trash can and all of this stink is coming out of me. And I'm not only am I physically going through withdrawal, but now like I, I'm like feeling, ugh, ugh, that sucks. Like I don't want to feel, right? I'm feeling emotions. I'm, I'm remembering things that I had kept very suppressed and I totally lose my shit at rehab. Um, and I throw a chair at my counselor. Oh. He didn't like it. 
<laughs> you know, they didn't, they don't look fondly upon that, oddly enough. And so I'm 19, I'm 19 years old and they throw me in a padded cell and it's in this padded cell that I have my first real moment of clarity where I have this, like this little voice starts to say, kind of like what you said, like, this wasn't the plan. Where did it go wrong? Like, where did it, where did you lose control? Like, was it the acid, right? Was it all the acid? Um, was it the crack? Because that was a road I went down. Was it, uh, you know, what, what was it? And in, you know, I'm still a mess. And I decide to sign myself out because I'm 19. I legally can. And I get on the phone with my mom and I said, they're crazy here, right? Immediately blaming them. They're crazy. Lock me in a padded cell. And she's like, yeah, yeah. I know this story. I know like you deserve it. And uh, she said, if you fly home, you're not allowed here. You're not allowed in the house. And I kind of was like, oh, fuck you, you know, and whatever I said, but I was, I left and I flew home. And the first thing I did when I landed was called an ex-boyfriend of mine. It had ended badly, but I knew that he still loved me and I knew he had drugs and I knew he would pick me up from the Philadelphia airport. And so I called him and I landed. And then I basically spent the next um, period of time for January, because this was January, this is after New Year's. I spent basically January bouncing around from basement to basement, sheds. I slept in sheds. Um, I slept in um, the back cars like the back of like that were open like because I was basically homeless my mom wouldn't let me home um and to make a long story short because I don't want to give away like the best story in the book which to this day I cannot read without crying my eyes out but I basically um I leave my mom a couple of people's phone numbers where she might be able to reach me now remember this was 1996 there were no yeah. cell phones there was no internet you know there was no email and um, so I left her like three phone numbers of kind of people that I was hanging around with. So if she needed to track me down and she called me one morning and I happened to be at this person's house and she said to me, um, you probably won't make it home before he's dead. She hung up the phone and my grandfather um, had had a brain aneurysm and I did not, I did not make it home and he died. Um, and she let me stay home for the funeral. And why, why am like, I'm going to cry more about this than my grandfather sounds awful. But um, the night after we buried my grandfather, my dog, who was my, like, it's my, like I had her for 19 years. So somebody yeah, gave like what, yeah. 15 when she died. I had her my whole life. My dog dies on our kitchen floor. Like how, how, how long after grandfather dies? Like, and we buried him that morning. So like four days, you know, five days, how long it takes to plan a funeral. So my grandfather dies, we bury him, my dog dies. And the next day, because my mom had said, you can stay home for his funeral. Uh, and the next day, my mom opened up the front door and she said, I said, you could stay for his funeral. The funeral's over. Get out. And I remember walking towards the door again, being like, well, fuck you. It's your fault. And it's your fault. You married my stepfather. And, you know, like I wanted to like blame her. And I remember looking back and I looked at where my dog should be and she wasn't there. And I just fell. I just like fell to my knees. And I was just like, 
I can't do this anymore. You know, and I didn't know what that meant. How exhausted were you? I was so exhausted. I mean, and also like some nasty shit had happened also over those like that month. I can't imagine. Yeah, that January month. Yeah. I mean, I gloss over it in the book out of respect for my husband. Say that. Um, and um, it. I just knew that. I guess it was like the first time that I like really acknowledged this isn't working. And I didn't, I didn't know what, I didn't know what would work. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know where I wanted to go. I didn't know what I wanted to happen. I just knew for just that moment that my way wasn't working. And that was enough to shine a mirror on something's going to need to change. And um, it's so funny because you talk about like the literature in, in AA or, you know, and I can remember reading this after I'd had my moment of clarity, but it's like, you know, if you can let the alcoholic think that it's their idea. Or, 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 you know, like it, for me, that was a game changer, you know, like, like, like at some point and hopefully you don't die first, but you'll be the last to know. And when you do, and you're ready to do something, a lot of times that's when you got a shot, you know? Yep. Yep. And I really think it, it, and it's, I say that to people all the time when they have friends or, or children or family members or whatever going through addiction, I say, I don't know what the magic is, but they've got to, they've got to want it for themselves. It, it yeah. doesn't matter how much you force them or how many rehabs you send them to. If they don't truly surrender to the fact that that's not working for them anymore, it's not, it's like, it's not going to last. And I think that's the key. I think you can keep coming back in and you can kind of, and then realize something kind of come back. But until you like, I feel like there's this level of sur- true surrender and brokenness to that that for me i needed to do all of that in order to have this kind of i will do anything to not feel this way and i did and that's what i did and so i got involved in a second rehab um and um not hazeled in because i was like i'm not going back to that (laughs) and uh and i for some insane reason agreed to stay sober for 30 days i was like i'll give you 30 days you know again kind of like it's your job to fix it but I'll give you 30 days. And that's when like the miracle happened. Like, so, and, so what, so did you stay, did you do an outpatient or did you go? To, yes, did I did an outpatient. I did like an IOP intensive outpatient. Yeah. So four hours a day, like four days a week. I mean, it was pretty, pretty intense. Um, How did you start to change? Did you start to notice, like, did you start to feel better? Did you, you know, uh, well, at first I felt terrible. Cause I got to go through withdrawal. Again, again. And yeah. again, yeah, and I feel like the second time hurts more. Um, so like, don't do it, don't go through withdrawal again, don't relapse, it sucks. Um, so I got to go through withdrawal again, and um, what started to happen, and like, I, I definitely had like a very big moment of clarity while I was in that rehab. Um, but what, what started to happen, the biggest change was I took responsibility for me. I, you know, as they say, like, there's so many of these sayings that I don't know about you, but they used to piss me off. And now I like to live by them. But like, I stopped pointing the finger at you and I started to point it back at me, right? I started to say like, yes, my mom made some bad decisions. Yes, my stepfather sucked. Yes, my father is neglectful and whatever. But like, I need to decide how I'm going to react to that. And I finally started to take responsibility for, for me and my side of the street and my reaction and who I was going to become. 
And that was the biggest. And then it was obviously like, okay, well, how can I make this better? How can I adjust that? Or how can I deal with this? And, and I just, you know, uh, as they say, you know, I took the cotton out of my ears and I stuffed it in my mouth, you know, and I just started to listen to people that had gone before me. So you like, when this is all happening, so you go to IOP, you see like things are starting to change. You're still really young. And like, yeah, I'm, I'm 19. I'm like, I'm yeah. 19 years old. Yeah. I mean, I took a shot at getting sober when I was 27 and I wasn't ready for reasons similar to what you just said. Like I was, I was young, you know what I mean? Like all your friends are still doing what they're doing. You're still, are you still in the same area? Like, yeah. So, yeah. so how do you, and this is a just, cause in my opinion, this is almost as hard as it can get. Like, you know, when you get sober and you're 45, which is, it's going to be hard regardless because it's alcoholism, but you know, that's a little easier because you can get sober and then you, most of your friends aren't hanging out, getting fucked up all the time. Like when you're in college, like that's, that's it. So life. everybody around you is doing that. So how did you get through that? Did you, did you use like, just tell me. Yeah. So, so um, my one counselor, I had these two counselors at this rehab, this intensive outpatient rehab, Jim and Al. Um, and Al was this very like, kind of like gregarious guy. And he's so funny. And he's like, oh, honey, there's only one thing you have to change. I was like, oh, okay. What's that? And he goes, everything. <laughs> that, that sucks. Right. Yeah. And so, um, I, I mean, it was brutal, but that's kind of what I did. I, it was like, it came down to people, places and things. Right. So yeah. I had to call all the people that I was using with and basically be like, I can't hang out, you know? Um, uh, I had to stop going to all the places that would be like a trigger. Um, I had to get rid of all the things, like all my, you know, obviously all my paraphernalia, obviously, but like even things like t-shirts and, and, you know, some music, some albums, you know, like that. I was like, I can't listen to this because whenever I listen to this, I think of driving in my car and getting high or yeah. whatever. Um, I had to like stop all of that and kind of like recreate my life. And what I found and, and and what I found was I basically had to kind of, for me at 19 years old in 1996, right? Remember, this is 1996. And I, God, I don't know how people do it now with emails and social media. And like, I kind of like went into like a cocoon and I kind of was like, all I'm going to do is go to AA meetings. And for me, that worked. You know, I mean, I know yeah. people have different opinions about AA. For me, that was a real blessing. You know, I found, and I think the key is like, I found a group that I really worked well with. I think sometimes I always say to people, you, you gotta go to like, first of all, you gotta go to an AA meeting for at least three times to see if you like it. And then if you like, maybe it's not the right fit for you, go to another one. It's kind of like finding like a good yoga teacher, right? Like I have a yoga teacher I love, but I had to go through like 10 different yoga teachers at like four different yoga studios before I found the one that I love. It's kind of like that. Like you're going to have to shop around a little bit. Yeah. And every meeting is a little different, but for me, I found a group that I loved. I found people that I loved that I really respected. Um, I didn't have to like them. I'm going to say that because there are a couple of people that I, I very surly, these, these guys, but God, they had good information to share, you know? And that for me, I was like, I don't care how nasty you are. You have some real key information to share. You've got a lot more sobriety than I do. So I'm going to take your word for it. And that, um, that sounds like somebody who, who wants it. I you know? Wanted it. Instead I of would clear yourself out. Hungry, you're, starting to, you're starting to figure out, okay, what, what can I find here that will help me on my mission to stay sober? Yes, exactly. And I just started to listen. I started to take direction from people that went before me. I started to take responsibility. Um, I worked as much as I could to stay as busy as I could. 
And, um, and then little by little, you know, it's my favorite saying little by little becomes a lot. And you just start to kind of, you know, what's the, what's the Japanese bowl? I think it's called like Kintsugi or something like that. It's like the broken bowl that's like put back together with gold. I'm out of my depth right here. Okay. Well, anyway, it's beautiful. And so it's like basically like broken is beautiful. You know, you take yeah. this broken pottery and you you kind of put it back together with gold. And that's what I started to feel like. I started to feel like I had all these broken pieces. I had all this trash in this trash can. And I'm kind of like molding myself back together piece by piece. And it's like kind of becoming something beautiful. And and then you want more, right? I wanted more of that. I wanted like, well, what's the next step? And like, what can I do? What can I do to get even better? How can I learn that lesson? Or, you know, how can I give back? Right. And you start to share and that feels well, yeah. really good. Was no, that so. what, for me, I mean, was there a moment where you, or, or several moments, but like, where you realize like, oh my gosh, this recovery stuff is starting to fill me in the area where alcohol and drugs used to fill me. Like oh. I'm feeling really charged up about what's happening here. Oh, Whether okay. I'm talking to somebody else in recovery or I'm in a meeting. And and I leave a meeting like with wings or like a meeting with another alcoholic with wings and the same thing that I thought was so great made me feel good about alcohol and drugs, which was by the way so finite. Now I have this thing that's like infinite and and, and I can go out and help people with it and, and use so it. True. Yeah. I, I mean like yeah. when did that start to happen for you around? Because I, I know that was like a major, major turning point for me. And it actually didn't take that long start no it doesn't it doesn't because you start to just feel better like you're like god i don't feel like shit wow is this (laughs) good right like i started actually get like color back in my skin and not be yellow you know and not have like circles under my eyes and like be able to breathe you know like without like having like my lungs coated in resin um and i mean i would say i would say like even by like 90 days. Like I remember walking up. I went to Berwyn, like I had the Berwyn beginners group on like Monday nights. Yeah. And I remember um Bill was at the front of the table and Leonard, like all these old guys with like recovery that I couldn't even imagine. The guy would say, yeah. Leonard would say, you know, whatever the question is, love's the answer, right? Love is the answer. Yeah, all you yeah, need yeah. is love. He was like, he was like John Lennon. All you need is love. He was bald. Yeah. All you need is love. He was like, oh my God, like everybody's pop up. Anyway, and um, I remember getting like my 90 day chip from that because that's when it was like you had your like 30 day chip, right? They look like poker chips. Yeah. And I got like my 90 day chip from them. And I remember being like, wow, you know, like I, I just felt good. I was like, I like this. I want another. I want an, like I want another chip. I want to get like another day and another month. And um. And that's, and it is, it's a snowball. Like you said, you start feeling good and feeling good feels good. Yeah. Kind of keep coming back. And and then you start to see the, like, right, the rewards. Like, I'm actually like, my family's talking to me. I'm able to have a conversation. I'm not having to come home and drop visine in my eyes and wash my hands and eat breath mints and change my smoky shirt. And like, you can just like, actually just like walk in a door <laughs> and yeah. not have to worry about hiding yeah, you know, emotionally and physically, and God, that feels good. Um, how, how are you doing socially? Like, when was that time? Because you mentioned, you know, you have to, and this was a huge thing for me. You know, I got sober when I was like thirty-three, right? And so, but I, but I did, you know, I, I 
basically got away from guys that I was drinking and using with yeah. for, for more than for like 18 months. Cause these guys yeah. weren't like where I was, but I needed to just do me and recovery, you know? And so, but all those things came back into my life. The ones that were supposed to, right. But I did like really hard stuff. Like went to a rehab, lived in a recovery house, worked at a fucking KFC, wow. you know, I did wow, all yeah. this stuff that was really a steam building. I didn't even know it at the time, but it was so, so awesome. And you mentioned, you know, you had to get rid of the music or the shirts and all that stuff. But there is a time when you're able to navigate your way through all that stuff, too. Like, you'll hear a song that you used to get high to all the time, and you'll find a way to enjoy it. And oh, it's like, yeah. You're not no, I still. By it. That's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. Like, and I can look back now, and like, I can. Like, I mean, that's like part of the reason, like, I can look back now many years later. And I'm like, part of the reason I was able to write the book in such a funny way. And I always say, if you can't laugh at some of this shit, it'll kill you. Right. So <laughs> like I, it is funny. Like, and I, I had my daughter, my daughter's 15 and she hasn't read it cover to cover, but she's read a lot of the chapters. And the first thing she said to me, actually, she said, read a couple of chapters. She goes, I wasn't expecting it to be so funny. Yeah. And I said, I did some dumb shit. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's stupid. You're like, oh my God. You know, so um, I can absolutely look back on it and like kind of roll my eyes at myself and kind of make fun of myself. And I can absolutely listen to the music now and go to the concerts. And I mean, and I was able to do that, I mean, within an X number of years. You know, I, yeah. I would say, I mean, you go through these ebbs and flows. I don't know about you in recovery. You know, I used to like, you'd have the people that went ahead, you know, before you talk about some of like the different like milestones. And I used to be like, oh, okay, whatever. And then it happens to you and you're like, oh shit, they weren't kidding. And yeah. I feel like five years for me was a very big foundation building milestone where it was like the first time I started to be like, oh, maybe I don't know everything, you know? Yeah. Um, like I actually still have a lot to learn and grow in. And then something happened around eight years, also like seven or eight years where I definitely felt like I came like, more into my own recovery and it wasn't just like repeating the slogans and living somebody else's words like I was like I actually am starting to like kind of have my own recovery vibe and um so you, I went through these different these different stages but yeah I know I was able to kind of like open up that box of goodies that I had packed away some stuff I couldn't get rid of you know yeah. um and I'm grateful that I didn't because I have such fond memories of of them now I still have a lot of like this probably isn't smart it's not not smart. I've, I've whatever. I've, I've got years of recovery, but um, the tray that my friend and I used to use in college to like de seed and de stem, uh -huh. cut cut up drugs and stuff like that. I actually still have that, and that's the tray that's in our family room for like when the kids want to eat on the couch, and I'm like, get out the tray. I think it's fucking awesome. And I can still see my friend's name written on the top corner, which brings like me joy every time. And I can still see all the little slices. Like, it just reminds me, like, it's right there. Like, that's, that was your life. And like, it's, you're one fuck up away from right there, you know? Yeah. And some, some of those things are kind of good for me to have around to be like, they ground me in like, it's just one hit away. I don't know what it is with me now. A lot of times if I have to do an event or something for work and I might be anxious, I'll, I'll be like, Alexa, put on Grateful Dead, which is something I used to smoke a lot of weed to, take a list of gins to, and drink to all the time. And it relaxes me. I don't know. And I don't really know the psychology behind that with me. I don't know if it's because 
Um, maybe it makes me not take myself too seriously or right. like you said, like the tray, like, um, but it, but I love it. And for, there was a while there where I wasn't really too comfortable, like, you know, a year or so dipping yeah. my toe into that water. And now it's yeah. just, it's just too close. It's too close yeah. to home. And then eventually it, you start to find like a different appreciation and love for those things. There's no you place know? you and, can't go. There's no place you can't go. If you have, no. if you have, if you're spiritually fit. And there really is no place that I can't go to celebrate, to have fun, to work. Totally. Whatever. No, I I mean, I go on a cruise every year and we have friends that we've been on this cruise with that for the first four years, four years, didn't know I didn't drink. Really? They (laughs) they were like, and and when they finally realized, my one friend said, she's like, she's wasted all the time. Like, are you kidding? (laughs) And Mike was like, no, that's just her. She's not, she doesn't drink. She doesn't drink. And you know, I've got this when they knew this in like, like 25 years or 23, whatever, whatever it was at the time. But they were like, no. And like, <laughs> so the point to your point, yeah, you just like, I love this. I love, I love being crazy. I love getting up on the table and being wild and silly and singing and ridiculous. And I, it's totally sober. Gratefully. Yeah. You're like, you know, like sober. you're your dad's daughter without, without the alcohol. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So she's still, still there. And you're a 24 hour a day, like contributing member of society where you're not living in some kind of fog sometimes. So I, I love a good love story too, before we go. Um, so yeah. you're, you're a husband, like, I think it's so interesting and uh, because relationships, alcohol was a huge, huge conduit uh, for me in relationships with women. Mm-hmm. So that was something I was very fearful of getting rid of because I thought I'm never going to date again or whatever. Uh, it's not true, but it, it really kept me, it kept me drunk for a while. I didn't know how I was going to do this. So you start to develop healthy habits and you get into healthy relationships. How do you meet your, your husband? Yeah. Uh, now of a long time, I'm guessing. Yeah. 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 We're coming. What do I have to like, look at the bad that I have to like, look at the date. We're coming up on 19 years. Married. Oh, okay. Married so we're talking years. a long time. Yeah. yeah. So, um, um so 12 years, I'm still working on like 19 months with the uh, relationship. So congratulations to you. Thank you. Um, so, thank you. so how did you guys meet and how did that go? Yes. So, um, I love how you're like, you start to get into healthy relationships. Let me be clear. <laughs> Just because you're sober doesn't mean you have healthy relationships. I had some yeah. really not healthy, yeah. sober relationships. I have okay? my like, yeah, not, I was not perfect. Um, I was a zero relationship person, kind of replacing, probably replacing some self-esteem stuff and some addiction stuff with, you know, boys. Um, you know, so shout out there to some people that actually might listen to this and <laughs> know who they are. Um, and, uh, you know, sorry, you know, you know, nobody's perfect. So um, I meet my husband and um, I had actually just had another like epiphany moment. And this was in that like... Um, seven to eight year window. Right. So like, I felt like I I'd shared a little bit earlier about how like at five years, I kind of realized, wow, I kind of like still have a lot of work to do. Like I thought I knew a lot more than I actually know. And then something happened to me around like seven or eight years where I started to like, kind of really come into myself. And, and what happened during that time, right before I met my husband and the universe is so great about making those things happen. Right. In retrospect. But, um, I was like, uh, and Chris Rock says this, Chris Rock in Bigger and Blacker, one of his comedies says, you know, when you first meet somebody, you know, you're not meeting them, you're meeting their representative. You're meeting oh, all the good stuff and all like what they want you to see. And I was like, I'm fucking done. 
with my representative. <laughs> I'm done. Shut up. You're Here I am. Take it or leave it. Like, this is who I am. And, and he met me. I met him at, a, at like a gym party. It was like actually like a holiday gym party. We were kind of- And you've never met him before, even though you're probably in the same- No, we, rub, uh, we had rubbed shoulders at like high school parties. A thousand yep. percent, yes. Okay. And, and I just never met him. And we had, I mean, we know so many people in common. Um, and, uh, and I meet him and I was just done with the representative. And so I was just totally myself. And he was like, this is interesting because I don't know if you, you know him, but you know, he's, he's a good looking guy. He's a successful guy. He's smart. He's an athlete. Girls would be like, what do you want my name to be? You know? <laughs> and then I was like, fucking take it or leave it. And yeah. he was like, I can confirm high school Mike was a stud and I know he is now. Stud, right? Right? And still is. I mean, I'm biased because I married him. (laughs) Uh, And he was just like, what is this? She is interesting. And so for some bizarre reason, he was like, he asked me out for lunch and and we start dating. And I tell him, I think it was like on that second date, like I don't drink. Um, And he, this is actually a funny story. He said, um, at this point, he was like just stopping drinking. He was like just starting to like, he was he was like so young when I because I'm like a few years older than him <laughs> like 25 or something like I look back now I'm like oh my god you're a baby and um he was like well that's kind of weird like you don't drink ever I said no I don't I don't drink ever but like I don't care that you drink I just I don't drink and what are you like seven years sober this time seven, yep, eight years I'm just before? coming up yep I'm just coming up on I was just coming up on eight years I said I don't care that you drink you can drink I don't drink Right. And I remember him saying something like, um, that might be a problem for me. Cause he was like, you like, how am I going to date? What are we going to do? Are we going to be able to go out and have fun? And I think I said something along the lines of that's actually your fucking problem. (laughs) Like, I don't have a problem with it. And if you have a problem with it, that's actually a you thing. And again, he was like, I don't know what to do with her. So he asks me out again. And I'm going to tell you the truth. It was on that third date um, that I knew I was going to marry him. And that was it. And we were engaged nine months later. And we've been married for coming up on 19 years. Unbelievable. It was like right away. And I think it was just, I dropped the representative. I'm telling you, I just was like, if somebody's going to love me, they're going to love me. Like the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right? And, and he did. And he just, I was like, I stopped the games. I stopped playing and I stopped and, and it just was like, wow, this works, you know? So, um, really like, he's just such a good guy. Fantastic. So grateful. Biggest Bye. reward, biggest reward of my recovery is getting to a beautiful, healthy place in my soul that I would have a light that somebody like him would see. And, you know, so, so great. What's your maiden name, by the way? Otley, O-T-L-E-Y. Okay. Tracy Otley, Tracy O, and you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. right, do you have anything else that's been fantastic? No, uh, you know, uh, pretty wrecked. So I'm going to have to do my book plug because I'm so proud of it. Um, pretty wrecked confessions of a teen addict. Love this. Thank you. Okay. Um, yep. Uh, pre, uh, pre-orders start March 1st book drops April 9th. Um, it's, it's a crazy ride. And, and one of the things that I'm, one of the ways that it's a little different than other um, recovery memoirs is that um, I really spend the last third of the book talking about recovery and talking about those lessons and talking about 
27 years of getting here. Um, so it's not just like the crazy wild ride that is my addiction, which it is a wild ride. And it's really, it's tragic and it's funny. Um, but the last third of the book really focuses because I think that's it. It's like, anybody can do this. I don't care what your shit is, right? We've all got shit. We've all got a trash can. And like, I guess I just wanted to teach people the tools that worked for me to unpack that trash can and have like a really, um, and I use the word successful. I don't mean that financially because whatever. I mean, I'm successful, happy, joyous, free life. And so that's what the last third of the book is about. So I hope anybody gets something from it, whether you're, again, in addiction or not. Pretty Wrecked is the book. We'll put all the stuff in the show notes. All right. Thanks so much. Trey. Thank you please so care. much. I'll tell Mike you said hi. Yeah, please. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to The Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza, And of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.